Okay, so it's been a minute since I've had to re-record a sermon, um, but this past Sunday, this first Sunday of Advent, we had some sound troubles, and so today I'm going to re-record the sermon, particularly for the online posting, so that we can have the sermon uh, going forward. Uh, with this being the first Sunday of Advent, I didn't want us to miss out on this first part of the next four weeks or so where we're going to be leading up to Christmas. So for those of you who are new to Advent here at Redeemer Community Church, we go through something that's called the liturgical calendar. And the liturgical calendar will take us through different seasons that the church global has historically celebrated together. This particular season is called the Advent season, which leads up to Christmas. Um, if you are new to this, you are welcome to join us in different practices that we will uh, undertake during the season. Uh, this past Sunday, Rachel, our worship director, uh, she encouraged us to take part in at least one of two different practices. The first being to sit in a dark room for a couple of minutes, at least a couple of minutes um, each day during Advent. And these, this practice serves to help us experience sitting in darkness as we wait on our Lord Jesus Christ. Advent, that word means waiting. And essentially it points to waiting uh, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas when he came as a little baby, infant in the manger, or waiting for his return at the end of time. So we look back to when he came the first time, we look ahead to when he will come the second time at the end of time. And this particular practice of sitting in darkness is to consider the waiting for his arrival when he came the first time to save us. And as we wait in the darkness of our current time, when he shall return. The second practice that she encouraged us or invited us to take part in is the practice of Fasting. So choose something that typically takes your time or your focus away from the things of the Lord and give that thing up and choose to use that time to focus intentionally on the Lord. So during this Advent season, you may choose to take part in one or both of those practices. I would encourage it. And again, Advent is the season that we look back at his first coming and we look ahead to his return. And so for this sermon today, coming from Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 44, the main idea I want us to walk away from is this, that Christians look joyfully ahead to Jesus's return. Christians look joyfully ahead to Jesus's return. And so we will read Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 44. We'll pray together and then we will jump in. Beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, Jesus speaking, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house been broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word and the opportunity to share this sermon with your people. Even again in this recording, I do pray that for every person listening, whenever they listen, that you would indeed garner in their hearts, in their minds, the hope and the joy of expectantly waiting for your return to come and make all things new and all things right for the glory and the honor of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. So when we read the Bible regularly, we sometimes come across passages and stories that aren't very easy to understand. And the passage that we've read this morning is likely one of those passages for a lot of us. Now, when we come across passages like this one, ones that may be difficult to understand, there is usually or maybe a tendency to do one of three things. And two of these three things are not very good things to do. Not very good things to practice. The first not so good thing to do is to draw our own conclusions about what the Bible means at that particular point. Essentially, to come up with our own meaning for the Bible. Now, with this past Sunday being a family Sunday, there was a good bit of interaction and participatory questions. I don't expect you to necessarily answer in such a way that I could hear with this being a recording, but I will ask those questions and I would love for you to answer them out loud wherever you are or internally. And so the question I'll ask here is this, what is the problem with doing this, with coming up with your own meaning for the Bible? Well, if we choose what the Bible is saying on our own, then how can we be sure that it's what God is saying? And if we're wrong, then chances are that we are getting God wrong and we're getting wrong how he desires us to live. The second thing we may do, the not so good thing we may do, is to avoid those parts of the Bible that we find difficult to understand altogether. Sometimes, things that we don't understand can be scary or even downright frustrating. So we avoid whatever that thing is, right? Kind of like calculus for me. I don't understand it, and I don't want anything to do with it either. However, when it comes to the Bible, this approach will lead us to miss out on important things that God calls us that God means to communicate to us about himself and how he calls us to live. Well, the third way we might respond, the good way we may respond, is to try our best to figure out what the writer meant to communicate to those who would be reading what he wrote, right? To try and understand as best we can what he was writing about from God and to God's people. 
And so today we're going to attempt to do just that with this very difficult story that we've just read. Now, this passage is Jesus' response to a series of questions that the disciples have asked Jesus in response to something he has just said about the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus uses some very mysterious language to answer these questions, but before we get to his answer, let's take a look at the mysterious things that Jesus says to prompt the questions that the disciples ask him. From Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked, when will this happen? First question, meaning when will the temple be destroyed? And then their second question, what will be the sign of Jesus coming and of the end of the age? Now, it's likely that these disciples, these Jewish boys, assumed that both of these events would be the same, right? The destruction of the temple in their mind likely meant the end of time. I talked about this in a sermon from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Luke from Luke 22, I believe. However, Jesus' answer means to clarify this misunderstanding. So the first part of his answer from verses 29 through 35 are about when the temple is destroyed. We won't go into that part again because we did that a couple of weeks from the other sermon, as I just said. But it is enough to say that Jesus's prophecy of the destruction of the temple was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed, when Rome seized Jerusalem. The second part, however, is about when Jesus returns at the end of time. Now. As Rachel, our worship director, shared with us about the practices and and as I've shared this morning about Advent, it's a time that we take a look back at when Jesus came to us the first time at Christmas and we look ahead to when he will return at the end of time. On this Sunday of Advent 2022 or this past Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to begin with the end, okay? We're going to begin this Advent by looking ahead to Jesus' return at the end of time. And in so doing, we're going to answer three questions from this passage. Now, my purpose in asking just these three questions is to help simplify what many have tried to overcomplicate about Jesus's, here's a big word, parousia or return. Because in reality, it's not for us to understand all the intricacies of what will surround and accompany Jesus' return. And I think that's part of what Jesus means to communicate in this passage. And so I want to simplify it for us by only asking these three simple questions about Jesus' return. And these are the questions. Is Jesus coming back? When will Jesus come back? And how should we prepare for his return? And so the first question, is Jesus coming back? And the answer is a resounding yes. That's what all of these verses are about from verse 36 and forward. The coming of the Son of Man, as Jesus often refers to himself, is all of what he's talking about here. And when Jesus comes back, he will gather all of his children, all of the people who've trusted in him to himself to live with him forever. 
That's good news, brothers and sisters. And well, the second question is this. When will Jesus come back? The answer, pretty clear. No one knows. In verse 36, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So that means for us, brothers and sisters, if someone says that they know exactly when Jesus is returning, what do we know about that person? What is clear about that person? Well, simply, not to be too harsh, but they're a liar. Because Jesus says that no one will know. On this particular Sunday, I showed the picture of a book that said that it was the undeniable biblical evidence that Jesus will return exactly 2,000 years from the date that he was crucified, that he died. Now, again, that book claims to know the exact date that Jesus will return. What do we know about that book based on what we have just read? Right. The subject of that book is indeed a lie. And so the third question is this. How should we prepare for Jesus' return? And the answer, by believing in him and living for him. In verses 42 through 44, Jesus says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at one time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And after this passage, Jesus tells a few different stories called parables that are all meant to teach the same lesson. And this is the lesson. The way that we get ready for Jesus' return is to believe in him and live faithfully for him. I suggest you go and read all those stories, those parables, or another way to put them, lessons, and just see that Jesus is reiterating. He is emphasizing through the tool of repetition that the way that we get ready for his return is to believe in him and to live faithfully for him as we wait. A New Testament scholar named R.T. Franz, he summarizes all of what I've tried to say today this way. He says, the timing of the parousia, or Jesus' return and the final judgment, cannot be calculated and foreseen. Readiness for those climactic events can only be achieved by living all the time in such a way that their unannounced arrival need not be a disaster, but rather a time of praise and reward for a life well lived and opportunities well taken. You see, brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes back, he's going to also do this thing called judgment. What this means is that Jesus is going to look at each and every person who has ever lived, and those of us who believed in him, and ask for forgiveness of our sins, he will welcome to live forever with him. However, to those who decided that they did not need him, who chose to live apart from him, they will remain apart from him forever and ever, and this will indeed be awful. So Christians, brothers and sisters in the faith, we have no need to fear. There are and there will be people who will come and make movies and tell stories and write books and podcasts and all kinds of things to make us fear the day of Jesus' return. But Jesus' return is not a fearful thing for us. 
No, it is a great thing. It is the greatest thing ever. And we should live every day looking ahead to that day and welcoming that day. And so this Advent season, we begin by saying Maranatha, which is a word from a language that Jesus spoke called Aramaic. And this word means, O Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.